Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Coulthard, and alongside me, well, virtually, thankfully, is Eddie uh, Jordan. Uh, I'm still here, David. <laughs> I survived the Christmas. My God, Christmas in Dublin. I can only imagine. I tell you, I was a little bit worried there. You you come in with a more of a purr, like a little, you know, pussycat rather than your normal tiger. No, I went to see my doctor who's given me everything I need to be all fired up, David, for the, the festivities. Uh, Dublin was electric, as you can imagine. Dublin is an unbelievable city for Christmas and the new year. Uh, so we're here with all the kids, grandkids, families, friends, hangers-ons, everybody. It, it's been remarkable. But, you know, Scotland is the same. It's the same kind of ethos. Tell us about yours. Well, yeah, I hope all of our listeners have had a good Christmas, of course, and uh, EJ, uh, whether he knows it or not, and I are going to try and bring you some of our favourite moments from the year past and, uh, you know, get the old crystal balls out for the future. But um, EJ, to answer your question, I had a great Christmas, thank you very much. I was up in Scotland with the family. Uh, parents were, were back for Christmas. They've got into the habit of spending time away in the sunshine. But um, I think they decided it would be good to, to get the, the whole family around the dining table which uh, is always a lot of fun. You can imagine a lot of stories told. Yes. A lot of lies, maybe not as many as in the Jordan household where you just can't help but make stuff up. Well, we have a habit of that. It was, in some ways, it was joyous and somber and stuff like that. Look, Dublin is still electric. I've never seen so many people busking on the street. Bono always turns up, even though he's got that big show in Vegas. He came back for Christmas. He was there um, and and having a laugh. Uh, and he asked about us. He still hasn't agreed to come on our show yet, David, but we'll sort that out. Don't worry. Well, well let's, let's get him on the show. He spends time in the south of France. When you're back from your, your travels, and I'm back from my travels, we should uh, try and get him in the studio. You know, he's such an accommodating guy um, for such a world star. And most of these guys nowadays, you know, they're handed paparazzi and everything. like. But no one seems to ever bother him because he just is so casual about the whole thing. And I think Christmas is an important time for him and his kids and his family. And uh, he's married a long time to Ali as well. So Ali and Marie and, and myself and Bono, we're very fortunate to say that they're friends of ours. No, it's very, very good to hear. I'm just wondering, actually, when you say that, he's he's in that sort of giving phase. You're still in the taking phase, aren't you? Um, I try to mix it up a little bit just to confuse everybody. I think I described and somebody said they loved, loved what I said on the podcast the other week. And I said, no, I'm not in the giving business. I'm in the receiving business. <laughs> I always used to say to the sponsors exactly what they were not expecting to say. And that is, guys... 
I'm going to give you advance warning. And this will be in a board meeting in front of all of the delegates there. I am going to take your pants down. And they're all giggling and laughing. I said, guys, I don't know what you're laughing about because it is actually true. It's going to happen. And it usually does. And they find it bizarre that I've come out and said such things. But I used to say, it's like what Adrian said the other day when I'm having parties in, in Cape Town and I tell everyone, you've got 10 minutes to drink up, now please F off. And that does happen. And it clears the room instantly. So I think sometimes being Irish does help. You can come out and say the most outrageous things and people don't necessarily treat you seriously. So... Long may it continue. Long may it continue. And I can definitely, for anyone who's just stumbled across our podcast and has never had the uh, the chance to follow you or meet you, it's absolutely true, listeners. EJ doesn't give uh, you-know-what when it comes to uh, what would normally be considered what could offend people. <laughs> I remember watching you walk on a BA flight, sit in a seat that you didn't have a ticket for, and then just charm, charm the, uh, the the stewardess into thinking. Well, he must really need to sit here, even though even though you were in like fifty two, you know, C closest to the toilet at the back, you managed to sit in one A. Look, the thing is with BA, you kind of, or any of the airlines, you have a, an idea of what's going to happen. You always go on the plane very late. So most people have taken their seats. You go to the loo, you come out and you have a look and you put your briefcase down and you see who's not being used the seat. Then sit down. It's very difficult for them to tell you to get out of there and move back to where you normally were. And <laughs> and the other, the other thing, guys, I shouldn't be saying this, I'll be arrested. Make sure you find it really difficult to find your boarding pass because there's no way of finding out where you are supposed to be sitting, David. So... What we're going to do, I think, is I'm going to rattle off a few moments of the year and any one of them that sort of tickles your fancy, we can drill down on that rather than sort of going through every single one of them. So just bear with me as I go. Talking points of moment of the year could be anything from Max Verstappen winning 19 Grand Prix, Red Bull beating McLaren's 1988 winning percentage record, Hamilton ending his longest pole position drought. He went 19 months without a pole position. Unbelievable. Oscar Piastri arriving in Formula One, managed by Mark and Ann Weber, you know, two good friends of ourselves. Carlos Sainz getting the only non-Red Bull victory of the year in Singapore. Esteban Ocon, someone that you've been very supportive of. Um, it seems a long time ago now, but picking up a podium in Monaco. Ferrari's 800th podium finish. You know, you were there when when Enzo Ferrari first entered Formula One. So you've probably got some stories yeah. for you hanging out with Enzo. I told you not to uh, be ages. Vintage Fernando Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> and also the McLaren resurgence. So of all of those wonderful talking points of the year, what's the one that gets the EJ blood boiling? Well, without me having to remember what you said all the way through, because some fantastic moments there, and uh, I'm sure we will delve into that. And that's what people and uh, the listeners want to do. And they want to know what our view would be, which would not necessarily be the correct view, but it would be our opinion. And I think that's what's so important. Everyone should have their free spirit and free opinion, because that's the way it works. Did you remember once then we were asked for our opinions? Somebody said, OK, EJ, DC, give, you, give us your opinions. And they came back with three answers. So either you've got a split personality or I have. <laughs> I think but how do you, you get three answers and three opinions from two people? And that, but the thing is, I think you get... Um 
bombarded. Even, you know, the great thing at my age, which I absolutely still love to a degree, but sometimes it becomes a little bit intrusive. But now because people recognize me probably years ago less, but now because it must be the podcast or it must be my association with UDC, I'm getting better seats talking about, <laughs> I got an upgrade on a seat on the BA flight back from Cape Town and they looked after me like God. I had to tell them a little fib. I told them that I was doing this podcast when I got off, so I wanted to be first out, which they absolutely moved heaven and earth to make sure it did happen. And um, so the power <laughs> like the it. power that you have beyond yourself uh, has made it possible for me to be even more recognizable than I ever was before. So thank you, David. You are very distinct, though. There's not many, you know, if you were getting a, if someone was drawing up a very very basic sort of photo fit of, you know, whoever committed the crime. <laughs> and they came with, you know, goatee, <laughs> blue glasses, you know, let's say a, long, a longer than most nose. They would, people would just go, oh, that's Eddie Jordan. But, you know, David, they would say the same thing about you until you went and you had that surgery done on, on that chiseled jaw that you had. I mean, how did you how did you have it rounded up? Because it was absolutely square. Somebody punched you so hard or you went and had surgery done? No, not at all. What's happened is that because for 15 years I haven't been grinding my teeth hanging on through high G-force corners, the muscles are getting smaller in my jaw. And, you know, what's basically happening is instead of me sort of eating raw meat straight from, straight from the animal, I'm now having to get somebody to chew my food for me. I'm losing all my muscle strength. I think you probably be doing, um, which is great for the jaws, by the way, is kissing. Oh, I love that. Love a kiss. So you're offering... Kissing is a, is a, yeah, it's great. And you're doing a lot of it at the moment. I, I love when you introduce new girlfriends to us and I always work out and say, oh, is she a keeper? And uh, I have to say, uh, Zigrid is an absolute keeper and um, she's a lovely person. Actually, a lot nicer than you, DC, I have to say. You need to watch your guard because I think she might be the first <laughs> one to boot you out. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be? No, she she no, might no. give you the bullet instead of what used to happen. Shall we bring this back on track and talk about the season gone past? So, who who tickles your fancy? So, I'm starting at the back, um, and I have to say I have dished out some fair amount of flack towards McLaren when I think they deserved it. Uh, I'm being very public about the way um, the, the the split with Honda. I was f quite furious about that, that they allowed that to happen. But, you know, fair play to Zach. He's turned it around. This was a, a turnaround. They could be very strong next year. Um, because when you think about where they were after the first, say, six, seven races, they were floundering. They were absolutely nowhere. McLaren was the, the team that we all said could never replicate what the great Ron Dennis did there. Uh, because Ron, such a character, such a perfectionist, and we've discussed it till ad nausea, so we won't discuss him again. But McLaren are, are edging back towards that. Of all the teams, you'd have to say, who could ever take it to Red Bull? And you'd have to have... Um, I'd almost have McLaren ahead of the Ferrari because I think there's more about them at the moment and they finished well and they've got two lovely little drivers, mind you, um, so has Ferrari. So I, let's, let's, fingers crossed, that it'll be a huge Titanic battle next year. Yeah, I of course, we all want that. I think it's still another year of maturing for McLaren. Uh, I think Oscar will be, you know, really, he'll have learned a lot from that first season, brilliant first season in Formula One. Lando's the real deal, isn't he? Just looking for 
a winning car. And once once he's broken that duck, I'm sure he'll he'll go from strength to strength. But I still feel that Ferrari had the underlying pace, didn't manage to convert it in race trim. But if they can get on top of that, then I think they'll be the closest challengers based on last year to uh, to Red Bull. But of course, you're right, McLaren won't be standing still. And Mercedes, we've got to talk about Lewis. 19 months between pole positions, as was uh, the case last year. That that's that's unusual territory for him to operate in. Have you ever seen such a you know successful driver go for so long with so little success? And of course, there's mitigating circumstances. But I'm struggling to know anyone that hung around in Formula One and and had that sort of drought. You had people who went away, like Nicky, retired, came back, won another world championship. But otherwise, it, it, they tended to always find every every couple of years at least, a winning thread. What's your thoughts on that? Lewis, for me, I think he showed some real speed and real presence towards the end of the year. But nevertheless, he went 33 races, David, without a pole position. Now, that is territory that neither of us would have ever expected. It doesn't matter the dominance of Max or anyone else for that matter. We know how good... Uh, seven times world champion uh, Lewis Hamilton is and was and will continue to be, I hope. Um, but I think the car was poor. And I think that um, George either dropped it a little bit or Lewis picked it up a bit. So I don't know, really, you would probably know more about the drivers in that field. But I just think there was a touch of arrogance from Toto at the beginning of the year. I'm glad to see he toned down from that because I took call to question when he said um, um, uh, the engineers have got it wrong. Whereas I, I said, listen, you're the CEO of the company. You are ultimately responsible. The buck stops with you. It, it, you got that wrong. The word you should have said, in my opinion, Toto, is we got it wrong because he is a huge part of that team, the structure, he's helped build it. Uh, we know how powerful it was. We know what a success it has been. So when it goes wrong, I think we all have to put our hands up and share in it. And I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but people are not talking about Mercedes like what they used to, to be fair. They're not looking at them as title contenders next year, are they? It, it, it seems to be a foregone conclusion that it's Max again. Um, and then we're talking about Ferrari, we're talking about McLaren. But I think we could be making a mistake there because I think Lewis still has it in him to be a world champion again. That's what I believe. Yeah, I don't doubt for one moment. He's, he's quality, isn't he? And uninterrupted careers, as we're seeing with Fernando Alonso, means that they, they they didn't you know they don't ever go off the the boil or the or the simmer i think that's what happened for michael when he went away for a couple of seasons and basically having retired earlier than he really needed to i think from ferrari when he came back it was difficult to get things firing at the same level as they once had so let's hope that we see lewis hamilton um getting back into the championship battle who else do you think could be the outsiders? I know, EJ, this is asking you to get your crystal balls out, but we mentioned uh, Esteban Ocon's podium in Monaco, but that was a long time ago in racing terms. And that seems like a team that needs a leader. And I don't actually know who the, the leader of the team is. I never met whoever was in the interim spot. And I guess that's my bad for not walking down to, to seek him out. But equally, do, do you think it's important for a team principal to 
sort of be seen or sorry, heard before he's seen in terms of, you know, there's a presence there that the paddock feels whether you've met the person or not. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think it's so important. Look, I'm not saying uh, the way Jordan went about it was the right way, but, you know, um, Alpine haven't won a race. Um, uh, and for an incredible, well, under the Renault guys, yes, maybe. But uh, in recent times, it's a long time since they've won. And they need to reach out. Um, I, I really not don't know what the makeup was. I thought they were coming to a stage where they were actually going to impart good continual success and then they changed the total management and um, you know I was very disappointed at that but that's what they did and um, they've had flashes of brilliance uh, and I think Gasly is a a real talent I really do I think he's a very good driver Uh, Esteban Ocon was unlucky in a way, when he was at uh, Force India, uh, I loved him there because I was very super involved in the team at that stage. Uh, Andy Stevenson and myself, we used to sit back and think about who could be better than Ocon. And he was a very talented, very, very quiet man. But the whole team is too much into itself. They don't open the doors out. They don't put their arms. They don't embrace other people and other sponsors and other guests. You know, I remember, okay, we were the opposite end of that. So before racing would start on the Friday, we'd have an open press breakfast uh, at the Jordan Motorhome, maybe even a bit of music at that early hour. Because I was trying to make things happen for our sponsors and get more press and more coverage and more things because that was the job that I had to do for the team and for the sponsors because I always said to them when they would sponsor me, I will deliver, I will deliver 10 times value for you. And they would all say, don't be dreaming. I said, I will deliver 10 times. So we had coverage in every corner of the world. And I get Giselle Davis, who was our press officer at that particular time. And she was able to push stuff out. Actually, that's a person we should have on, Giselle Davis. She left me uh, to join Seb Seb Coe when she went to the IOCC. And she's the girl responsible for bringing the Olympics to London those years ago. So great girl, but spent her time with Jordan. And um, so we had a different way with with. Press and TV. It looks as if Alpine almost closed the door. They don't want that. They don't want the intrusion. They don't want the, the questions being fired at them. And they don't want it. you can. It's difficult to get a one on one interview with them, David. It's just impossible. It's the only team in the paddock, I think, that that's the case. I, I wouldn't know who to ask for. <laughs> Other than the, the drivers and a couple of all recognizable faces, the new management team, I don't know. 
But David, the only reason you don't know them is because there's no chance of you doing a conflict of interest deal just like what you have. You know, you, you're the top guy at Mercedes, you're the top guy at McLaren, and you're the top guy at Red Bull. How any one individual can have deals with all three of those individual teams is beyond me. So I think you are my all-time hero. No one else on this planet can do the kind of strokes that you're able to stroke EJ, I think in your spare time you should write some fiction books because you just come up with the <laughs> oh, most he incredible loves that. Somebody has told him to respond. <laughs> oh. Right, anyway, get back to happy, Formula happy One. Happy Christmas, David. Happy Christmas. Merry happy Christmas, indeed. Do you know in about six weeks, seven weeks maybe, more accurately, uh, or maybe that's not accurate, but anyway, it's, it's less than two months, we're going to be out testing the new cars it's incredible what formula one teams do you know not long has the dust settled on on the 23 season but they'll be out in abu dhabi excuse me they'll be out in bahrain and then racing uh, a week later it's incredible now, to do the test, Adrian was telling me, because I asked him, would he do the Argus with me, the cycle race in Cape Town, which is world famous. And he said, geez, I'd absolutely love to do it. But they have me out at the test in Bahrain, stay out in Bahrain, do the race there, then go home for a couple of days and come out and do the Saudi race. So, you know, and then a couple of weeks later, they're off in Australia and then they're going to, it's mad. David, I know, I'll crazy. be <laughs> No, you're only doing 17. Have you been looking at my contract? Get your eyes out of my briefcase. I know you only do the ones that you can have double deals on. That's all I know. Ladies and gentlemen, this man <laughs> may look like a saint. He's far from a saint. He gets paid by, by Channel 4, by Whisper, and then he goes off and he does these other, other deals. And if you've noticed, he is wonderful. And I pay you a compliment, David, because I think you've um, uh, nurtured your way into being the top dog doing the interviews with the drivers because they're very happy with you and you're very good with them and uh, comes across as a very slick op operation. So bravo to you. Listener question. We've got a guy here called Gus McDonald and Gus would like to know, Eddie, Hey, Gus here from New Zealand, although that does sound like David from Scotland when I say that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, do you think it's likely that Piastri will make an even bigger jump forward in 24? And here's the real, I think, backbone of this question. And maybe even beat Lando consistently. Oof, that's controversial. Does, you know, Lando's top drawer, I think. I don't, I'm not saying that I don't think Oscar is, but to beat Lando with the experience he has consistently that steps towards dominating your teammate. And I'm not sure he's there quite yet. What do you reckon? Um, if you remember, Lando had a, just a little bit of a drop off and came back. And so I expect that Oscar will have to do the same because sometimes um, things don't go quite right for you. And it's how you're able to cope with those downsides um, and how you're able to bring yourself back up right to the forefront of the competition to make sure that people realize that you are the real deal. So I agree with you. Despite the great guidance that he's having and will have, um, if Oscar can repeat the kind of things that he has repeated this year, slightly on a more consistency basis, um, I'll be super impressed because he will go far. He is a new breed of the young drivers. Um, he is long term somebody that Max will look over his shoulder at. 
um, and to see how is he progressing because he's one of those characters that I think he could unleash himself into the, the highest echelons of Formula One in, in terms of um, records and careers and race wins long term. But next year, I think he just needs to just settle down, find the foundation and gradually move forward from there. There you go, Oscar. That was your Uncle Eddie's talking. Another one here from Michael Collins, and it's uh, it's saying how much he enjoys the pod. Thank you, Michael. Um, What were uh, our least favourite rule changes that were implemented while we were involved in the sport? So if I go first on this, EJ, to give you some time to to sift through uh, rule changes that you didn't particularly enjoy. My disclaimer is the following. I don't control the rules, and therefore I never used to give a lot of thought to the rules I used to give a lot of thought to how do I exploit them? How do I drive as quick as my teammate uh, uh, or faster if I possibly can? Um, so what have I not particularly enjoyed seeing over the, the, the past years is not that Formula One still remains the most remarkable proving ground of technology. It is. These cars are engineering works of art and they're just uh, unbelievable to look at. But I'm slightly uncomfortable that they're almost as heavy as a sports car didn't really enjoy the period, which I think is passing now, but there was a period where there was quite a bit of lifting and coasting, saving fuel because we had the 100 kilograms that it's become a bit more than that fuel restriction. And we had, you know, fuel flow meters and things like that. All of these uh, rule changes brought it closer to endurance type racing rather than what I think the Grand Prix is. The Grand Prix is up to a maximum of, uh, uh, you know, 305 kilometers Typically, the longest race would be around a couple of hours. Most of them are about 90 minutes. It's sprint racing. You know, I think it's the fastest car has been driven to the limit. And I got uncomfortable when it felt like they were pacing themselves, saving fuel, saving tyres, getting ready to then deploy their talents um, strategically to, to win the race. The goal, of course, is, is always the same and you always count the winners at the checker flag but that's what I didn't particularly enjoy and I feel the sport is definitely targeting louder cars because the noise is the soundtrack you know you're a musician EJ you know how important volume is when you're conveying passion to, to people and I think the cars are now as we saw in places like Qatar where they were restricted on the amount of laps on the tyres those drivers were like gladiators they were getting out of the car you know, dripping in sweat and looking like they'd been at battle. And I just thought that was fantastic to see. Um, Some great points there, David. And um, obviously that side of it, from a driver's point of view, you are much more in touch. Um, The thing for me that irritates me a bit is the pit stops, Um, this undercutting, overcutting things. Um, uh, Yeah, I understand it, but it's again, you know, people trying to pass people in the pits. Is that really what we want to be seeing? Um, I, I want to see drivers pass on the track. I want to see people dicing up the inside. And, and when they think they can follow somebody and if they come into the pits one lap earlier and they can get out on the new tyres and go quickly, fine. And it's that strategy and the team loves that. But it's not really what the punters want to see. They want to see passing manoeuvres and they do not want to see it in the pits. So I, I, I'm against that. I'm absolutely against the weight. I mean, I remember in the, I think our car started off and there were 570 or something and that was with the driver. I mean, they were tiny. I mean, it must be at least 50% higher now. And for me, when they have the inboard camera. Not quite. And I think they're just over 800 kilos. Now. 
I think, yes, a 50% yeah. increase from where they were yeah. uh, over, all, over those 20 years or so. Um, the halo for me, uh, sure, it, it, it's a big safety aspect, just like the hands was. Um, but when the camera is inside the car and you can see, I think the driver is restricted in terms of his view. And I think some of the accidents must be because um, the visibility uh, either in one sector or another sector that it's impaired. I, I, but I don't know what the real answer is. Yeah, well, let me jump in. Did I ever tell you about the time I drove RB19 around Silverstone this year's Well, you're going to winning? Us. Please do. Yeah. So, so you know, not many people get a chance to drive a world-beating car, but, you know, out of a cast of thousands, I was called specifically to drive that car for a feature for Channel 4, um, which was a lot of fun. And I was surprised, actually, how little your view was obstructed by the halo. It, I think it looks a lot more in your face than the reality. Um, but uh, the, the drivers certainly are much lower in the cockpit and therefore the visibility to the front wing is more restricted. But as you'll remember from your, your career in, in cars, EJ, you could never see your front wing. You just had to have a sense of where that front wing was. Motor racing Formula One, it's at the most unbelievable acceptance level at the moment worldwide. Formula One has gone through the best time of its entire life. We do need to be able to have some idea what the, the characters look like or they want to look like. Now, of course, they've all got helmets on, so, you know, that's restricted. But I think the halo just adds more, if you like, uh, secrecy to the whole situation. I just, we have to have something for those type of impacts. And I think they have uh, been a success. Just I've never really liked it. In terms of the noise, David, there's absolutely no doubt. Um, a full-blown, when, you know, the, uh, the V10s, I mean, that was just a purple patch for me. I mean, we remember when I came into Formula One, and I'm sure when you were there uh, looking at it, you, you know, the BRM at 16 cylinders and stuff like that. And uh, I think even Ferrari maybe had a 12-cylinder and stuff. But, you know, lots of those cars, the, the sound and the, 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 the note when they were at full chat, um, it was iconic and, and, and I can still remember. I can remember the Castrol R as well. So there's a lot of things, maybe I'm showing my age here too much, but um, I, I know you can't go back uh, too far because then it becomes ridiculous. Um, but I just thought that early days, motor racing in the 80s and then early 90s was the best part to me. And you pointed it out, David, we must never allow ourselves get so close that it looks and could look like a sports car. Yeah, absolutely. Right, moving on, we've got Cathal D would like to know, um, I was asking about what it was like to drive RB19 and how did it compare to the other cars? Well, the cars are a lot bigger, clearly, um, a lot heavier. Therefore, the increase in power you don't really feel, um, you know, up to a thousand horsepower. But when, you, when you're trying to move a, a much bigger mass, then that kind of gets soaked up into that. Um, the high-speed performance... I'm sure in the hands of a Max or a Checo is, would just be incredible. But in the hands of what I was able to do in the limited running, it just felt like a very nicely put together and engineered race car. Um, but reassuringly, there's a lot of the themes of, of the Red Bull cockpit that actually stem back to 
the very beginning of the team. So it actually felt quite familiar, like, you know, going sitting in a comfy sofa or, um, you know, putting on a comfortable pair of shoes. So great privilege and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, EJ, here's one for you from Paul Lynham. And he wants to know uh, an old, I guess, Irish buddy of yourself, if I'm not mistaken, Tommy Byrne. Um, why did he not make it to Formula One? Tommy drove for me in the European Formula 3 Championship in 1983 when Marty Brundle uh, was taking on Senna. I had two sets of teams. I, I, I always liked to have the European Championship and the British Championship in Formula 3. They were fantastic series. Brilliant. Um, Tommy Byrne, we had the Yokohama deal and they paid for the tyres and they paid for the, most of the racing. So it was a very easy deal to do. Um, and we won a load of races. Um, but Tommy was mad. Now, when I say some drivers were crackpots... Well, he's Irish, wasn't he? Well, no, actually, we should have asked that question to Gerhard Berger when we had him on, because every time I hear him, when, when Gerhard Berger says, who is the craziest guy you've ever come across in, in, in motor racing? And he'll always say Tommy Byrne, because he just was uncontrollable you just could not I cannot tell you the stories that I have about Tommy Byrne if we can get him on. in fact he's done a great video I think it's Crash and Burn is the name of the movie or whatever it is Crash and Burn folks have a look at that and see what has happened but one of the great memories I had by winning the Formula 3 championship of Britain he got a test in a McLaren car um, and that was always done at Silverstone at the end of the season. And they usually had somebody like Prost or that sort of people come and test the car first to see how quick it was and to check it down. And then they give it to uh, so the AALs, the Stefan Johansons, the uh, Hulkenberg or whatever it was. They give it to the drivers who had won in their own national championship. So Tommy Byrne had his chance. And uh, he came and what he had done a one ten nine, which was exactly the time for pole position, I think, um, for Prost that particular year. So it must have been about 82, 83. Um, and Tommy then gets in the car and very quickly he's doing a one ten eight, um, which is the same time as Watty. And, and uh, at this stage... Um, Ron Dennis dropped everything because he wanted to see what what is going on. Who is this guy? What is happening? How can he possibly be doing the sort of times when his driver is doing the same time? And typical of when Ron went over and said, oh, the car must be really very good. He said, uh, well, it's got a little bit to do with me as well, you know. And uh, typical Tommy, very arrogant. And he said, why don't you give me a new set of tires and I can go a second quicker? And he gave him a new set of tires and he did it at 10-2. And at that stage, Ron decided he didn't like him and he had him hauled out of the car. <laughs> Tommy Byrne was one of the greatest talents that never made it to the top of Formula One. I can promise you that's true. It's a great story if you'd like to. Would you like to hear a little Tommy Byrne story? Very little Tommy Byrne story. We went to a Formula 3 Grand Prix in Mizano. And I arrived, I was with Brundle the previous week in Snetterton, flew out and see Mizano, and I told him he could go early. But anyway, he met this much older lady uh, who was looking after him and fed him and housed him and stuff like that there, which is typical Tommy. <laughs> and um, he had no idea that it was the opposite way around. So it was anti-clockwise. Um, and he went to Mizano, um, and, and that's how Berger talks about him. So there was some great drivers. There was all, all Maybe he only had a digital watch. Well, so he, no listen, he was he great everywhere. But this particular place, we did the qualifying. And um, we were second in the first qualifying session. 
And towards the end of the session, he insisted that we get the new set of tires so was, he could do that. I said, no, Tommy, the best time is always in the afternoon. Tommy, don't be such a dick. Just listen and get out of the car. Be happy where you are. <laughs> so he said... Motivational words from a team principal. So he insisted and got the better hand of his engineer, put the tires on, went out, got pole position. He says, no fucker will get within one second of that time, no matter what they do. And it's true. He never turned up for the second session. He had a date with the older lady and he went back to the beach in Rimini because that's where it is. That's uh, Mizano is on the coast beside Rimini. I don't know what he did, but he arrived the next day. But he, and Amberger will tell you the story. In those days, people used to have to go to the clerk of the course and he would call out their name. It's like a roll call in school, mention the name, but Tommy wasn't there. So I had to mention, when he mentioned Byrne, I said, yep. And they said, no, 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 Berger was, <laughs> that's not him, that's not him. He never <laughs> turned up for the, he turned up about 15 minutes before the race, got in the car, won by a mile, won by a mile. I mean, he was amazing. So that's Tommy Byrne. I better move on. Yeah. Incredible, incredible. And I think that's a great, great way and a great uh, memory for us to wrap up for this particular episode. And it wouldn't be uh, correct, Eddie, if we didn't uh, reflect on the year and the the amazing growth that we've had uh, on the podcast. And of course, that is down to the support we've had from what we have, uh, we have named our, our, our listeners, the anchors, of course. So thank you to all our loyal anchors. Yeah. We've got big plans for 2024 that we can't wait to share with everybody. Oh. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll t- tell you, Eddie, before we, we announce those big plans. Best you don't. And we want to wish everyone, yes, indeed, we want to wish everybody a lovely new year wherever they're celebrating it. And remember to follow Formula for Success on Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on social media with the handle at F1 for success. And you can find Eddie Jordan busking on the streets of Dublin at New Year. Yeah, <laughs> so anyone who is Why in not? Dublin at New Year, go and check out EJ. Go up and tell him you're an anchor. Uh, that means one of the listeners of the podcast, of course, as opposed of to course. anything else. And EJ will buy you a pint of the good stuff. Uh, steady now, David. That can carry it away. Uh, if it was with you, if you want to send over the money, I'll spend it for you. But, um, you know, every pound is a prisoner as far as you're concerned. Is that not the case? Every pound a prisoner? Yes. That is, uh, that I is remember. the case. There is case. Well, look, <laughs> should we raise a glass, EJ? Uh, have you, have you got a on... wee glass there? And we should do oh. Happy New Year when it comes. Uh, mine is nearly half the size of yours. But anyway, um, guys, David's right. Do you know what this is? That is Irish whiskey. Well, you say that. You say that. But before you say your... Yeah, I know you'd get wound up by all the helmets behind my head on my banner. There's yeah. another helmet on this fine drinking called Highland Park. <laughs> Look at that, the Saltire edition. Would you like me to send you a bottle, EJ? We, we should show you this because this is Wolfie's. And it says, Dear EJ at FFS. And that's signed by none other than the great... Rodney Stewart, a fellow countryman of yours. So it came in a very nice pack. And um, I'm going to take it out because, David, I'm going to share some of this with you. Is it wine or whiskey? Oh, my God. It's the best whiskey. And it's even signed by his good self. I don't know if you can make it out. Well, I think this is the best whiskey. What? Highland Park. Get off the stage. Yeah, this is but proper. This is saltire. This is 13 years old to celebrate my 13 victories. 
Anyway, Rod Stewart is coming on our show. He can't wait to take the mickey out of you. He thinks you're a complete wizard. Um, I don't know whether that's being, uh, being, <laughs> being good or a dick, but he says you're a wizard because you, you have more girlfriends than he's ever could even come, come close to having, and he's had a few real stunners. So, David, you're right, in very well. good company. But anyway, guys, have a happy, have a, happy New Year. Off. I think we better get happy off here. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> EJ, give us one growl to end 23. Yeah.